Hello, everybody. What's going on? And welcome to the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast. We're the podcast for people who care about coffee. And I'm your host, Brian Sheely. Joining me today, as always, is my good buddy. He's on his way to Panama. Check him out, Mr. Brian Viking. Hello, Brian. Boy, my arms are tired from this flight. Is that how the joke? No? Okay. No. Hello. Sorry. Hi. Episode 55. What's up? We're here. I know. First we, time ever. We, Long time listener. It. First time caller. First first time to 55. Uh, you know, so we talked about it on the last episode, and uh, we, we've had a, a running list of guests that we've wanted to have on the show for a long, long time, and we are finally able to check off that list. Uh, the one and only chocolate barista, Michelle Johnson. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> Hi, Brian and Brian. <laughs> Hello. So, uh, obviously... You are a very busy woman uh, doing lots and lots of exciting things, which we are going to talk a little bit about in detail. Okay. Um, can we can we start off, though, like we always do and talk about some of the coffees that we're brewing? Sure. Can we put you on the spot? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what what you been brewing? Uh, so because I'm so freaking busy, I don't have time <laughs> to brew anything. Uh, so... Happily enough, Brian came by yesterday and dropped yeah. off two tubes of sudden coffee for me. Um, they are the Beef 2 Gudina from Ethiopia, so I am sipping on that right now. And Sweet. it's delicious. It's nice and hot. And, um, yeah, it's keeping, keeping me going during all of this work stuff I'm doing. I'm, like, locked in for two days just getting a bunch of stuff done. So I don't have time to brew coffee. But I have time to sudden coffee. Yeah. So what do you think about sudden? Or is this your first time with sudden? Or have this you had it before? This is my second, second or third time with sudden. And each time I have it, it gets a little bit better. Uh, my first experience with it was not that great because I spilled half of it outside the cup. And I only had one <laughs> tube. <laughs> so it was watery. <laughs> um but no, I actually really enjoy it, and I'm thinking about bringing a bunch of it home to my mom in D.C. when I go home this summer, because oh, yeah. she is how I got into coffee, and, but she doesn't want to sit and brew coffee. She loves instant coffee, so I think she'd enjoy this. All right, Brian, how about you, buddy? I'm brewing up Ruby Coffee's Ethiopia Bokasso. So it's they have three... I believe three. I haven't checked the website recently. Three Ethiopian coffees. Uh, a couple of them are new crop. This one, I think, is still just a, one of those really nice late Ethiopian crop coffees. And it's just really nice. It's been a, a bit since I've had some Ethiopia, washed Ethiopian coffees. So, uh, but it's that time of the year. You know, you're starting to see new fresh crop Ethiopian coffees arrive at roasters. So, I imagine it's um it's it's coming and just quickly though speaking of Australia do I have that right I actually I don't I'm sorry Germany well I'm gonna stop <laughs> talking enough. I was gonna talk about the five elephant thing well no it is it's because it's um that's why barista um, hustle. the barista hustle the uh, five elephant I saw someone post a picture of the Brazil that's coming in that I don't know if that means that they're starting to ship or not um I hope so because I want that coffee really really bad the tasting notes looked delicious for a brazilian coffee i'm excited but i will be gone in panama starting this weekend so if it arrives while i'm gone womp 
So, but that's so I have a wish list. That's on my wish list of wanting to talk about. Mm. But currently, it's just the Ruby Bucasso. It's it's got a lot of florals and citrus tea like. It's just everything that I, that I like. It's just it's a nice reminder, you know. While I've been drinking a lot of Ecuador and Colombians and stuff like that, um, that it's it's time to party. What about you, Brian? What are you drinking? I trucked it down to my local Peixoto and yeah. uh, picked up, actually I picked up a bag of their El Salvador uh, red honey processed from Annie Ruth and on my way out the door, uh, Spencer caught me and he was like, hey, you need to try this Ecuador. So he threw me a bag of uh, the La Guiglia. I am totally not pronouncing that right, I'm sure, but um from Ecuador, and it's just lovely. Um, floral, lime, uh, really sweet. Brewed it up this morning on the ratio with actually the metal cone. And so it kind of did some funky stuff with the body, which I was really happy about. It was great. So uh, we, we brewed that up for the office this morning. And uh, it's really lovely Ecuador. Yeah, so that's me. Did, uh, did you have a fun time at Expo? Michelle? Man, it was it was crazy, but it was it was definitely a fun time. It was my first time and I like every single day, like from the crack of dawn in the morning until late at night, I was doing something. <laughs> Always mm-hmm. doing something. Um but I suppose it was pretty cool. I think I might go again. We'll see. I gotta say it was really funny. Um when I first rolled in, I went to the official SCA launch party and (laughs) I I'm just you know cruising through the crowd I saw uh, Diana and the crowd or the crew from Onyx there so I was hanging out with them and uh, a couple people were asking me where where's Michelle and I was trying to find Michelle I don't know where Michelle is and then literally at the moment we were talking about you you appeared on a (laughs) giant tv screen oh snap like overhead as like the MC of the evening. <laughs> so I didn't know you were going to be doing that, but that I was really cool. Yeah, I, I kept that I, under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> I like was, I didn't want to, I don't know, I wanted people to like come to the launch party just because it was the launch party, like not necessarily the, just to see me talk in a, a white suit, which was the best part of the whole gig. <laughs> Um, it was an impressive white suit, by the way. Yeah, shout out to Amy Ball. She she hooked it up. <laughs> but um, yeah, she reached out to me and uh, said that you know they'd been like for a while paying paying attention to me, like how I do at competition, and they really liked just how excitable I am in general and wanted me to MC the party. And I was like, sure. I've never done something like that before. I think I might mess up, but uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, and I got free tequila out of it, so I'm not mad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we had talked about, uh, from following up from last week, and for anyone who who is listening to this but they didn't catch the last episode, which was the intersectionality panel that Michelle was on, as well as a lot of others that was from Expo, then stop right now, just, I, I don't know if you pause or you just, whatever, and go back and listen to that and then come back here. So we're going to, we're going to 
dig into some stuff in in regards to that soon. But first, uh, what we normally do when we have guests on is we just kind of backtrack a little bit, get into the backstory, um, whether it whether it be before coffee and then coming into coffee, um, what you did or what got you into the coffee, and then what's what's on the horizon, what's coming up. So yeah, let's just let's just get back to the, the origins of you. Uh. The Michelle origin story. <laughs> uh, well, I've always been into coffee, to be honest. Uh, I my One of my earliest memories is seeing my mom brew herself a cup of coffee every morning. Um, but it was more like milk and sugar, or like the, the coffee mate cream and sugar, with um, like maybe a shot of coffee in it. So it tasted just like sweet milk. So when she would brew herself coffee... And then I'm the oldest of five kids, so she would go, like, tend to my siblings and leave her cup on the table. I would go and steal, like, half the cup and, like, gulp it down and then run away. Um, So I've always liked the taste of coffee, and it's something that I attribute to her. And, you know, when I got into high school and stuff, she used to brew us coffee um, for the both of us before she'd go to work. And then... I wanted to, that's when I found out that coffee shops existed, so I saw my first Starbucks in high school, and I tried to get a job at Starbucks, they never hired me, I'd like to say that they messed up, but, you know, it, <laughs> maybe how it, did they hire me and not you, I have no, no <laughs> yeah, idea how that works, no idea, I never got past, like, the application process, so, <laughs> oh. but, um, I, like, always kept it in mind, and then, um, one day I was just job hunting with my cousin in D.C., and I saw this, like, little coffee shop, and I was like, oh, I really want to walk in there, but I'm too scared. And she forced me to walk into the coffee shop and ask for a job. Um, <laughs> so I got an interview. A week later, I was starting, and I was completely obsessed, like, from the get-go. Like, I made flashcards of all of the different, like, drink recipes and definitions so I knew what a cappuccino was I knew the differences between that and a latte I used to dream about like working on bar Um, and at the time I used to sleepwalk too so I would like sleepwalk in the middle of the night and like my cousins have memories of me like acting like I was working in the shop like that's real (laughs) it was just (laughs) I was serious about it Um, That's awesome. And then from there, uh, I started working at a shop, my first specialty coffee shop at this place in Arlington, Virginia called Bayou Bakery. And that's where um, I got training via counterculture and started to learn about all of what we know now about specialty coffee, the supply chain, and started being able to, you know, differentiate and taste the differences between uh, different origins and stuff like that. I, I thought all of that was cool. The process. Um, and then once I moved to Phoenix was when it got even worse. and <laughs> I became more obsessed. <laughs> uh, and I started working at Cartel and worked at Cartel for about two and a half years. Became a manager. And yeah, that now I'm You worked I'm like, at the... At the- Sky Harbor location for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I was at Sky Harbor for a little less than a year, and then I transferred to uh, the Tempe location uh, by ASU, but Sky Harbor was where, that's where it went down, behind security. (laughs) That's where I actually have a a ton of friends 
uh, in coffee who I first met there and they were like, whoa, there's like a specialty coffee shop at the airport. And I was like, yeah, here we are. Um, but it was also horrible at the same time because offering a pour over menu in an airport is not the move. <laughs> yeah, I would not it think is, yeah. It is super stressful when people are like, oh yeah, I went to Chemex, but my flight's boarding right now. I'm like, okay, um, well, that's going to be about five minutes. And they're like, no, I need it right now. Well, we can give you a drip coffee. Like, no, I want the Chemex. Okay. <laughs> so, so it was just like, uh, it was pretty stressful. And that shop was very busy, but I, I learned a lot of valuable things. And uh, I, I, every time I fly out, I make sure I go extra early so I can go to that location and hang out with them. Uh, but now I am... Uh, not in the cafe. I worked at Fraturo in downtown Phoenix for a little bit. Um, but yeah, now I'm just working on the chocolate barista. And I just recently got officially hired at Barista Hustle last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we <Okay>. go. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, Matt and I have been friends for about, I don't know, six or seven months now. We met at Tamper Tantrum last year. And yeah, he and I have just like stayed friends ever since then. And he approached me back in February and was like, would you want to move to Australia for a job? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say no to that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why not? Um, so yeah, this summer I'll be moving from the United States to Australia to go work with him and Michael Cameron. Um, oh my gosh. And then also on top of that, like I'm now contributing to Sprudge and working with them too. So you'll see my writing in other places other than my blog. Just super exciting. That's crazy. Is that why I didn't see an application for you for Quills when we were hiring for our new cafe? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> so what I'm exactly sorry. are you going to be doing with Barista Hustle just in general? Do you, do you know yet or is it? Um, yeah, it's kind of still... basically like the easiest way to describe it is just like creative marketing, uh, which is what I do now, but in the like the freelance portion of the world. But mm -hmm. I'll be helping with all of that. And then <clears throat> they've been picking my brain a lot in terms of just like, you know, to their whole thing is to help the world make better coffee. And one of the ways you need to help the world make better coffee is to help people be better people so that we can all focus on helping the world make better coffee. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about you know, throughout this episode, they pick my brain about when it comes to uh, social issues and whatnot and consulting on how they can be better people, how we can use Barista Hustle uh, as a platform to you know, help people not be garbage um, so that we can all focus on coffee and then how to not make coffee garbage <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, so that's actually, it's, I know we're going to talk about the panel and some of the things that uh, kind of came out from the panel, but, you know, still maybe looping back to your origin story. I, I remember not hearing as much, you know, when I first met you, I think was at Cartel. Mm-hmm. Um, I still remember and, that day. <laughs> yeah, right? That was a fun day. Yeah. Uh, I think I actually have a picture from that day. Um, oh, I remember anyway. the picture too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, aside from that, uh, when when we first actually met, like, you know, I don't think the 
the chocolate barista blog was a thing yet. Um, you know, you were still, I mean, not exactly yet. Like you hadn't competed yet. Um, so not a lot of folks necessarily knew, uh, knew you as well as they obviously know you now. Mm -hmm. Um, how did, how did the chocolate barista start? Um, how did you start really tackling some of these social justice issues? Like what, what drove you to really kind of take on a lot of these conversations that are pretty challenging? Uh, so the chocolate barista originally was just my like creative outlet for wanting to, I wanted, it wasn't until I moved to Phoenix that like I had been exposed to a creative community. Like Brian, I know you know this, but like Phoenix is extremely creative. There's a huge creative industry here. A lot of freelancers, like Instagram is huge. A lot of curation of everything. Um, it seems like all of the places here are, they build them out to make them look good so that they can be <laughs> like photographed um, yeah. and shown off. So I was like, I, I grew up, you know, doing art and stuff like that, as well as being extremely nerdy about other things. Um, so I wanted a creative outlet, but through the scope of coffee. So it was supposed to just be like a lifestyle blog <laughs> of me just showing off like how I live my life as a barista and like doing coffee the way I want to. Um, and so I originally started conjuring up the chocolate barista, like the fall of 2014. Um, so right, it was actually right after I competed for the first time in Palm Springs. Um, and it was like, the focus was going to be coffee community. Cause I was like, and I still am super involved in the Phoenix coffee community. And then I was in college at the time. So the three C's <laughs> and, um, I like didn't I didn't do anything with it for a while. I had started, but I just didn't have time. Uh, I was transitioning, and I was like dropping out of school, and there was just like a ton of stuff going on. So I left it alone. And then at the end of 2015, I was like writing out all of my 2016 goals, and I was like, I really want to get the chocolate barista started. I don't really know what I want to do with it, but I want to get it started. Um, so I just like sat down and wrote down all of these things that I wanted to do. So I was like, I want to talk about fashion and like coffee culture and like inspire people to let's all like do coffee together. <laughs> uh, especially in Phoenix cause Phoenix's coffee like scene is like it's here and it's alive, but it's still very, it can get stagnant for long periods of time. Um, and it isn't nearly as activated as other communities. Uh, so from there, I like, so I started it at the beginning of 2016, um, like shortly after New Year's, I had posted my first blog and like, it was very much just focused on what was going on in Phoenix and then just like some very surface level, um, like lifestyle things. I started doing the Barista Jam series, which is like the only ongoing series that <laughs> I still do, um. And then I, but I did have plans. One of the things that I wrote down on that list was I wanted to just bring to attention my experience being a black woman in coffee. Um, but I didn't have plans to take it further than that. I just wanted it to be a blog post or maybe like two or three where I'd ask like other people their experiences. 
Um, so I started, it was actually around the time that I met Brian Bikey in Dallas last year. Um, on that trip, I was with, on a business trip with two of my old business partners. And I had spent like every single night, like staying up until six in the morning, like writing that blog post. Cause I wanted it to be informational. I wanted it to be experiential. I was like doing research. I wanted there to be facts and numbers to talk about like why we weren't seeing like black people in coffee and like what, what it could be, uh, as well as my own experience. And so, uh, after that trip, I finished up the blog post and I was talking to one of my good friends, Ash Ponders, and he was editing it for me. And he told me, he was like, okay, Michelle, well, now that you're bringing this up, you're going to have to continue talking about it. Like, this is going to need to be a platform for you. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. Because <laughs> um, that, like, you know, even for me, as, like, confident as everyone thinks I am about talking about these things and how, like, you know, how much I bring them to the forefront, like, I still was very, very scared of talking about this. It still felt very taboo. Um, and he was like, no, you need to make sure that you continue to talk about this. And I was, like, super uncomfortable with that idea, but I knew I needed to post it anyway. Um, so I posted it, and that's literally where, when everything went from zero to 100, <laughs> and it got crazy from there, and uh, I remember Nick Cho was one of the first people to, like, read it and retweet it, and then it just, like, it went freaking viral, and I was, like, I, like, hid in my bedroom. I was, like, oh, no, what did I do? It's <laughs> like, I'm so scared. <laughs> um, but when I started getting, like, floods of emails of other black people in coffee and, like, just other, like, marginalized folks in general of telling me that, you know, they were super appreciative of it and that they, like felt seen and spoken to and that they were they were so glad that someone like finally was bringing to attention a lot of what no one is talking about um I was just like oh maybe you know okay this like it gave me a little bit of encouragement um and also like prior to that post coming out Jen Chen had just posted her intersectionality um article and that, like, gave me a little bit of encouragement, whereas, like, okay, someone has already started this conversation, so now I can, like, throw in my my part in it, too. Um, and, yeah, from there, it's just gone from, you know, being a little lifestyle blog to, you know what, like, this is my platform now, and, like, this is my entire life. Like, you know, it's more than just a platform. It's how I live every day, and it's how a lot of people live, and it you know, can get in the way of our, our advancement in the coffee industry and our careers. And I'm, I'm hoping that eventually, you know, we can move these barriers and break them down so that we can all like move forward together as an industry. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it came to be. I was listening to, um, the boss barista podcast, uh, this afternoon mm -hmm. for a little while. And uh, I forget which episode it was, but uh, Ashley and Jasper are just crazy good, amazing hosts of that show. They do a wonderful job. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think it was Ashley said, you know, essentially like they want to move to a point where like they don't have to talk about right. these issues with marginalization and, mm -hmm. and 
inequality and all these things on on the show like they'd love to just talk about coffee yeah. and it was kind of the 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 point that you made in the panel at expo you know it'd be great just to move on and talk about coffee or focus on coffee but like these issues always come up right. um so i you know obviously i think it's it's probably the feeling of a lot of people that like because it's just such a huge topic it feels very daunting to take on kind of like maybe how you were feeling in the beginning of, mm-hmm. of getting this started. But I mean, good on you for, for doing the emotional labor to actually, you know, have these conversations, put the stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are really uh, lining up and, and agreeing with, you know, the, the visibility that you have given these kinds of mm-hmm. conversations. So. And it's, it's going to be like a continual process. Like it's easier now than it was a year ago, but that it's still extremely difficult um, to talk about and to navigate, especially when like situations happen where, you know, <clears throat> like racialized violence, it, it manifests in uh, so many different ways. It isn't just, you know, like, being blatantly racist or you know blatantly violent to somebody because of their race it there's so many different manifestations of it um so it's just like a year from now it will be easier than it is today but it's it's just a it's something that's just going to continue and then I feel like we will get to a point where we won't have to talk about these things and then you know I'll be able to because of all of this work I'll be able to use the chocolate barista and expand it and all these other ways that I plan on expanding it uh, and helping people. But I've always wanted to give back in some way. Um, I, like, grew up having to be helped to, like, live and stuff like that. Um, So this is my, I don't know, I feel like I was destined to be in activism and, and, I don't know, nonprofit work is something that I'd really like to get into and use coffee for eventually. Um, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) So specifically talking about the panel, uh, and I know you, you, so some of these, uh, conversations were already starting to happen, but in regards to it happening at Expo, how did that come to be? So, uh, early or this year, um, I had just kind of randomly threw out a tweet and I was talking about, um, how I had like all of these ideas that I like, I just wanted to see happen. Um, different ways I wanted to expand the chocolate barista and like I'm just someone who comes up with ideas and I every single one of my ideas I have plans to make happen Um, so that's when Tracy Ginge DM'd me and she told me she was like I'd love to hear your ideas and I want to help you make them happen Um, because she works for S&D Coffee and is on um, the board for the SEA, and she also works for World Coffee Research. So she, like, is a woman of high tenure in the industry. She's been in the industry for like two decades now, um, and she's also one half of the Coffee Woman. So I was super encouraged by that. So I sent her this long email of like of just a brain dump of all of these different ideas, and one of them was I had said I was like, I want to bring. A conversation about intersectionality to Expo. I don't know what it is that I need, like who I need to talk to to make happen, um, but I definitely want to talk about that because we were, I had brought up how 
um, when I first went to the coffee, the very first coffee woman event in Kansas City last year, that like while it was super awesome to talk about gender equality and all of that, I still felt very like alone and unseen um, because some of the experiences they were talking about, I was like, I understand those, but my experiences go a little bit deeper because I'm also a black woman. Um, and that was a conversation that I felt wasn't being talked about enough in the industry at all. Uh, it seemed like everyone was super comfortable with only talking about just gender. Um, but that was erasing of a lot of other experiences that intersect with gender. So she said that they were, um, the coffee woman was being given a, a slot at Expo anyway to do a lecture. And she was like, let's just do your idea. We're down. And I was like, oh, that was easy. Okay. <laughs> so that was like back in February. So her and I had just continued to talk back and forth on the phone and through email. Um, and we threw together all of the, we talked about who we wanted to be on the panel. Um, we both like definitely wanted Phyllis on there and she brought up Meister. And then I was like, I definitely want Tamika <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, and Jen and Liz and yeah. And then that's how it pretty much came to be because the whole thing that you know I was saying to her was I'm doing a lot of talking and writing about these things but I want to make sure that I'm being actionable at the same time um, and that was what I felt was my first way of bringing action to the talk even though it was just more talking but to bring that to the expo um, stage was super important to me and I'm really glad that they let us have that um, and we are talking about bringing that to the World of Coffee event in Budapest as well as a continuation. So it's not over. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I mean, the I, I obviously, as, as we mentioned briefly on the last episode, I was there in attendance. Brian was obviously doing some uh, preparations for his Brewers Cup competition, so he wasn't able to go. But um, it was it was a very packed room yeah and i i think even at the last minute like they had to expand the room or or move to a bigger room or or whatever yeah there was a um, lot of um hype building up around it that we yeah. didn't do <laughs> like people it just they naturally were getting super stoked about it so they were like you know what we're gonna go the safe route and expand it to a larger room and when we got told that i flipped <laughs> yeah i had like an anxiety attack but yeah, it was great. Well, I, I remember standing on the on the on the uh, floor of the competition area, and uh, Diana like ran across her, and she was like, "Let's go! the 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 panel is starting." I was like, "Oh, I totally didn't want to miss it." So I she you know grabbed me, and we ran over yes. there uh, and made it just in time. It was it, it was impressive to see the turnout um, and how many people were were walking along with us to make sure they didn't miss it, mm -hmm. um, which kind of leads to maybe the next question. So at the output of the panel, uh, which a, a lot of questions from the audience, a lot of uh, insight from all the different panelists, um, do you feel like it was mostly a productive conversation that, that it was mostly well received or, you know, was there, was there some aspect of it that maybe you wish you could have gone into more detail about or, you know, how did, how did it kind of feel after it was all said and done? So my immediate thoughts after it uh, was 
I was, I was extremely happy. I was very happy with how it went. I was happy with the turnout. And since then, the conversations have been mostly productive. Um, I've been really happy to see the, like, how much the, the Sprudge transcript of it and then the last episode, how, like, it's been picked up by a lot of people who I wasn't exactly expecting to, like, want to listen to that. For reference, it was our most listened to episode in the first week uh, of of airing. So that's, I mean, we, we got a we got a good number of people listened to that last episode. So that's pretty. Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's super awesome to hear. So yeah, that like is also extremely encouraging. Uh, I definitely think it's been productive, uh, but it has also brought up, you know, it's an uncomfortable conversation at the end of the day. Um, being told that you have been biased and like kind of messed up in your way of thinking your whole entire life is not something that like you want to hear. <laughs> you know, you want to. Everyone wants to think that they're good people and that they're doing well. And it, you know, like we said in the panel, it's never about you as a person, but it's like your actions and you know the society is messed up as it is. Um, but what I've encountered a lot of since then that's been on the negative side has been a lot of derailing conversations a lot of people saying not me not all um a lot of like devil's advocacy of like trying to like justify or explain like the other side of like or what about this and I'm like no like can we not do that (laughs) um so it's really it is like the panel definitely started breaking ground into some messiness that I don't think a lot of people were expecting so I'd say like the first two weeks after that panel or actually the first yeah the first two weeks after the panel and then especially the week that the last episode came out was probably the most exhausting and one of the worst weeks of my life (laughs) or at least this year so far uh, when it comes to that specifically and that's that's something that I was fully expecting as well was, you know, talking about these things is going to unearth a lot of, you know, a lot of bugs and, and worms if we're if we want to go down that that metaphor um, that, you know, a lot of people like to keep covered up with pretty flowers and fake grass. But it's like, you know, we got to get to the root of the situation and, you know, fix it there. Um, and it's it's been really telling of you know where like how deeply ingrained some of these issues are in the industry and people just want to keep covering it up and want to keep saying you know let's just focus on coffee let's just focus on coffee um and we're trying to get there but there are people who aren't able to because they're having to deal with these other things and they're having to put their energy you know into having to continue to justify themselves and their humanity and why they can't just focus on coffee um and people keep trying to continue to cover that up but otherwise I mean the the conversation hasn't been it's never been more um apparent like you can't really run away from it now we're all talking about it (laughs) everyone's talking about it um and that's been really encouraging and I I it's nice to not feel like I'm the only one on an island anymore and I think a couple other people feel that way too which is super great in the panel you you all were talking about folks listening, um, being receptive and, and, and hearing 
the situation that other people are sharing about their struggles and their their pains and, and the things that they're going through and then to have a certain category of people just not listen right at the output of that it's like i obviously it's not surprising um but it is a little bit sad i guess that yeah yeah um one thing there have been a couple things a couple specific situations since then that have been um that have made me definitely sit down and like be like why am i even doing this <laughs> like question <laughs> all of this um and it, like all within that like really bad week that i had um the spread transcript of this got posted on the barista hustle facebook page and that was a it's like a 100 plus comment thread now um that wow. you can go back through i think there are like 120 comments on it and almost all of us who are part of the panel have all weighed in on it um trying to like it's like playing galactica <laughs> like <laughs> shooting down all of these <laughs> little planes that are coming at us um but yeah that's uh, that's where a lot of the like the derailing conversations came in um people wanting to bring up someone specifically wanted to talk about economic equal inequality and like why we didn't talk about that um but something that Tamika made a really good point about was we are like we're not at that point yet where we can kind of like dive into the even deeper deeper issues like that like this these are conversations that are just starting and even though we may have been talking about the stuff for I don't know a year it's still that's still super new and still super fresh and it's only in the past couple months that people are actually starting to pay attention um so it's like people wanting to like run before we even learn how to walk. Like it starts with at least having these conversations and getting people to listen and getting people to educate themselves um on all of these issues first before we can start talking about crazier stuff like economic inequality. That stuff is very much it's still super important. But we're just not there yet as an industry. And it's not and it's also not to say that we can't be working on that at the same time. That's something that I I noticed within coffee specifically is that no one wants to multitask. <laughs> Everyone only wants to focus on one thing at a time and it's like there are, we can, you know, be ergonomic and do things all at the same time. Um but it's the the failure of being able to multitask has almost is derailing in itself um which has been super frustrating but that was one thing uh there have been <laughs> so many other things <laughs> that yeah. since then uh a lot of things that I'm seeing that have been kind of frustrating is back to the whole like not me not all type of thing like this performative allyship like people who are claiming to you know like I am an ally I'm there with you um but in like going out of their way to show it off and to show off that they are making progress and like something that we definitely made a strong point about at the end of the panel was you know not to get caught up patting ourselves on the back um and I wrote about this too in my blog post about um how like white feminism is holding coffee back it was like we're so quick to call progress progress and like to celebrate it um but there's still like so much work and the um I'm just going to go ahead and call this out 
Um, in the one of the most recent issues, uh, I think it is the most recent issue of Barista Magazine. This was brought to my attention not that long ago. Uh, and in the editor's note, Sarah Allen talks about my inclusion and representation post and how like it frustrated her at first, but you know, this is, she's like, we can't get comfortable and that we always have to be pushing forward and we always need to be doing better. Um, but I strongly felt like she still missed the point because what I was talking about in that post was very simply just we want to see some visibility. We want to see some representation. We just want to, you know, I want to be able to open up Barista Magazine, Fresh Cup Magazine, Standard Magazine, it doesn't matter, um, and see people who also look like me. Um, and I feel like if I were to go back and look through that issue, I still wouldn't see, you know, people who look like me. Um, but she wanted to celebrate, you know, that, like, Michelle pushed me forward and now I'm like, you know, I know that I, I have to work harder and this is me working harder and I'm letting you know that I'm working harder. But, like, okay, where, where's, the, where's the action behind that? Like, I need you to do a little bit more than that. Um, stuff like that, like, is frustrating. It's just, like, you're not... It's not to say that, like, she's not doing... She's not working harder, but, you know, you have to take it a step further so so that being frustrating though are are there actions that you are seeing that um, have come from it also or 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 are just happening that have you more optimistic yes um there has been an overwhelming amount of like rallying i'm seeing of people who are privileged especially on online conversations um, when stuff like that or other forms of oppression are happening. Um, so if like someone is posting online something that isn't great instead of in like it, whether it's like personally attacking somebody or not or shading them or whatever, like the, the, the rallying I'm seeing of people flooding in and like taking the time to do the work so that the person or people being oppressed don't have to do the work um, has been extremely encouraging the past couple of weeks. I've felt like I've been able to, like, save my energy. I know other people are feeling like they can save their energy. Um, and then some of the behind-the-scenes conversations I've been having with people who do have influence, who want to know and are, like, asking very thoughtful questions. Um, and, like, I will absolutely shout out, like, Matt Perger and Michael Cameron. Um, yes, they are now my colleagues, but they have been extremely thoughtful and you know if they see something that they don't understand or if they see me like retweet something online and they don't actually they don't get what's going on um they'll ask me and I'll like I mean now they're paying me but I can sit there and you know explain to them like this is what that means um and they take that into account and they they sit and they think about it and we have a conversation um and then in some way they like manifest it through the platform of Barista Hustle. So they've been really adamant about wanting to amplify um, the voices of the marginalized, marginalized folks within the community um, through Barista Hustle, like through the newsletter and the Facebook group 
and um, that's been like really awesome. And then like this, like you guys wanting me to even come on here and then wanting to post the panel and stuff like that, that like is really awesome. That is using, you know, your privilege that you have and the power that you have to amplify those voices and extend the reach that um, of those who can hear and read it. So that's that's been pretty great. It's interesting. We were, well, maybe I didn't have conversations with Brian about it, but it's something that I've been thinking about for a while about how can we provide a, a platform um, in, in not for, and this kind of goes into what uh, Brian had mentioned earlier with the, like the downloads, whatever. I don't think any of that is, is like, oh, yay, good, cool on, um, I brew my own coffee, right? It's just, oh, no. it's, it's, no, just no. it's just, be, it's just having, it's just having a reach that people will, will listen yeah. or look into something that they may not otherwise have the channel or choose to have the channel to find. But, but for a while, I've just been thinking in general, how do we have this conversation? Do, do Brian and I just find some, some guests to come on? Do we just hand over the microphone to, and so that I, I was actually glad that, that the intersectionality panel we're able to just insert in mm-hmm. because that, I mean, it's some, it's a way that Brian and I could remove ourselves. Right. And just yeah. let that conversation take place. And then, and then now we're able to follow up kind of like we are now, you know, y- y'all started the the panel and it was pretty much like if you're a heterosexual white millennial male, like you're, you're going to be uncomfortable here at the panel. And uh, you know, I, I, I certainly had moments where I felt, more discomfort than others but i think one of the the eye-opening moments for me was when tracy stood up at the very end Mm. or near the end i suppose and talked about um like noticing the amount of space that Mm -hmm. that you take up and and you know I, i i see that a lot and it was something that resonated with me too because uh i think brian recently did an, had an interview with uh, Anna Brones from Sprudge about you know the show and about Instagram and all the things that Brian's up to. And one of the things he said in there is like you know we we really acknowledge that we don't have as much diversity on the show mm-hmm. as as we could, and it's something we we want to change. And so yeah, it's like it just felt like all those stars sort of aligned, and it was like this is the right thing to do you know mm. it's something that you and i probably didn't think a lot about we would just say hey let's get our friend blank on let's get guest blank on mm. but I, I think part of that too even just shows like something that and, and it's and it started to in both of us i think to to think more about or even to go even more internal and be like why are we not thinking about those issues or why are we not like entertaining that or pushing for that and like th- then we need to be doing more of that too J- you know just flaws on our own part which i i would hope other people are are able to were able to get from the panel who were either there or have listened to it also yeah yeah acknowledging is is always the first step in in any type of process of you know getting better in anything um you have to be able to have the the ability to empathize and then acknowledge where it is that you've gone wrong. Like, I have privileges myself. Like, I am a cis, hetero, black female, so I there are privileges that I have 
um, that, you know, other queer black people don't have, and so on and so forth. Uh, and I have to always be mindful of those privileges and constantly acknowledge to myself when, when it is that I am benefiting from that privilege. And there, from there, I'm, I go on and do whatever I can possible to amplify those voices. And um, a, a metaphor that Michael Cameron always uses with me is, you know, like turning around and seeing who's behind you and what's going on behind you. And then, like, reaching your hand back and, like, pulling forward, you know, doing what you can to help pull forward who is behind you. Um, there's always going to be somebody behind us. It doesn't matter, like, who we are, what our backgrounds. <coughs> so, yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. You got to acknowledge the flaws so that we can all get better. And you mentioned it, too, about people just wanting to maybe deflect the conversation and not actually explore it thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw someone had posted the link to the intersectionality panel episode on Reddit, and oh, so I didn't even I did sl- not go into the Reddit. I was like, Michelle, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> yeah, and I would say, in general, it was more positive than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, you know, there were there were a good handful of people who basically said like why do we have to bring these topics into slash coffee like Mm -hmm. why do why do we i'm i'm here my favorite quote i'm here for the aeropress recipes (laughs) like why do we have to talk about this stuff something that you know i think about in relation to like that exact line of like i'm here for the aeropress recipes um there are this and this is just like personal experience type thing like there are a lot of things about coffee that I don't know that I probably should know for having you know been in the industry for like five or six years now having worked multiple jobs and held on to different positions and you know, I the the access to the information for the things I feel like I should know has been cut off from me. It, like, stops just short of me. So there are things about the AeroPress, if we want to talk about that specifically. There are AeroPress recipes and things about the AeroPress that I probably should know that I don't know because that that information has been withheld for whatever reason where it's like I just was not included in those conversations about it Um, or I... When I would ask questions, I would be made feel, I like people would make me feel dumb <laughs> for asking those questions and then therefore discouraging me from even asking about it. And so I don't, you know, step forth when there's something I don't know. I don't let people know I don't know it. Uh, now that's not the case. I will ask the simplest of questions <laughs> because I'm just like, I don't, I, I don't know these things. I, you know, when Brian uh, Bikey was, when you were prepping for Brewer's Cup and we were um, FaceTiming while you were doing a run-through, I asked about why, you know, bean density has anything to do with, like, how does that affect the roast and whatnot. That's information that conversations I've heard people have literally by me and literally just not include me in the conversation. Um, It's that. That is why... I can't just focus on the coffee because I am literally being pushed out of it, out of those conversations. And it's, it's, it's sad. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. But like, I mean, I still, 
you know, me and people like me still push forth and like I'll seek out that information by myself. But, it, you know, it's always nice to be able to collaborate with people um, and find out those things. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked with a few friends who are uh, women in coffee, you know, privately in conversation. And you know, there, there seems to be like this idea that there's a, a boys club. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I imagine that also applies to you know, other marginalized categories as well. Um, so d- in terms of being in, you know, one of those marginalized categories as a woman of color, in coffee, what kinds of things are you dealing with? I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned one there, um, like some real examples, some actual stuff that you're actually seeing. Like, what do you what do you deal with on a day to day basis that that is challenging for you to move forward? Um, my day to day isn't like the what it used to be. So it's very different now than like when I when I worked in the coffee shop every day. Um, so back when I worked in the cafe the a lot of the things I was running into um was just like people not not even giving me the time of day (laughs) like not paying attention to any information that I'd throw out to a customer if I um if I'm behind the bar and for example someone is asking about you know our pour over options and like why this pour over does this and et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. Like I just, it was just like, they were looking at me and like not believing me. And I could tell by the more questions they asked, it was like, I was being tested. Um, and that was something that would happen just about on a daily basis that used to piss me off. (laughs) So I felt like I spent more time trying to justify my resume, (laughs) like behind the bar than actually selling the coffee that I was supposed to be selling. Um, But, I mean, something that does happen now when I go to coffee shops is, like, uh, and someone, I saw someone else say this online is, or actually Tamika said this, it's like if I go somewhere and I say, you know, I work in coffee, it's not, someone doesn't immediately, like, jump to the, like, oh, let me ask you about this or that or blah, blah, blah. It's just, like, explain to me your whole resume I want to hear where your training's from, like, who are you, like, who do you think you are, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so forth, and so I really, I go into coffee shops, and I don't even, I don't even like to, if I go to a new shop, I don't even like to bring up the fact that I work in coffee, like, I'd just rather not, um, but then I am faced with being treated like I don't know anything, and, like, almost being talked down to, um, by people behind the bar, which happens a lot as well. Not so much in Phoenix, um, cause Phoenix is small and a lot of people know who I am. Um, but when I travel, that is, that's always super discouraging. And like, that is my impression of wherever place I go. And like, I keep that in mind. Um, and even if the coffee is good, that like that stuff kind of sticks with me and it, and it hurts. It really does suck. Um, but I mean, I I press forth. <laughs> I keep going. <laughs> I'm just like, all right. I mean, the, and this is why I continue to talk about what it is because it doesn't stop, and it it always surprises me and like floors me when people are just like, 
we don't need to be having these conversations in the coffee industry, but I'm like, this is our literal, this is our political and social climate. So of course it's going to overlap in a coffee. Like just because we're, the coffee industry isn't this like dome <laughs> bubble that we're living in where it's like, we're not affected by these things. And like, this is all, these echoes are also in the tea industry and also in the beer industry and in the mixology industry and food. Like it, we're not living in, in glass spheres where we're not being affected by these things. Um, so I hate when people say that. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Obviously, we're, we're all living in Trump's America, so we're all going to be affected by it here in America. Uh, it doesn't matter what industry you work in. It, it's, it's going to manifest all the way down, you know, all the way to the, the, the bacterial level, so to speak. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting passionate. <laughs> it's good. Oh, we appreciate it. Um, speaking of passionate, I, I know there was a lot of discussion at the expo about, mm. um, yeah, yeah. We, Brian and I were <laughs> on the floor, literally staring at each other, like, "What are we going to talk? We need to talk about this." <laughs> um, about the uh, the semifinals mm. uh, from the preliminary round in the barista competition to the semifinals of all the competitors that made it through, mm-hmm. which I believe there were six competitors that made it through to the semifinals, all six were males. Um, which, and I want, I want to get your take on this, but before I do, um, I found it entirely interesting. Um, Brandon Paul Weaver, who we shout out on the episodes a lot. <laughs> he, I, I see him this weekend. He's super sick. I, I love him to death. But anyway, um, I was, I was, I was there in the back standing there as he was having a discussion with uh, Becky Reeves Mm -hmm. and some other folks, um, you know, about how this didn't necessarily make a lot of sense um, that only, only men were able to make it through. And he told me, you know, if you were able to, to watch his routine, his routine focused a lot on diversity Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, promoting diversity in ways that, uh, ways that that can happen and, and his routine was really thoughtful but he's he, he basically said you know it feels almost dirty to have gone through on a platform of diversity mm. in a pool of people that were not diverse um anyway i i just wondered you know what your take was on on the whole thing and obviously it didn't extend all the way down to the finals because we we saw uh, a number of uh, women able to take the top spots, which was which was impressive and great. Um, but what about semis? Why? Uh, why do so you think that I had a conversation with Michael about this actually uh, yesterday, the day before, and <clears throat> something that he and I focused a lot on in that conversation was the the definition of support, like resources and support. Um, I think that. That definition, that definition varies between women and men. So, like, for example, when I was prepping for com- competition and, like, I was talking about how much, like, I went by myself and, like, Presta Coffee, like, supported me the whole time. Um, but when I was talking about, like, me needing support, the the assumption was always just, like, 
moral and emotional support. But if, you know, men ask for support for competition, it, it almost always is, like, assumed that that means, like, resources up the ass of, like, the best coffees, money, like, equipment. Like, people are just kind of, like, a team, a rally. Like, but I and other women, I think, are having to actively spend a good amount of their time having to seek those things out. Um, so the, the fluctuation, the, the, difference, the differences of support are just very different in between the two demographics. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. I, uh, Michael had did, he had pulled out a spreadsheet that he made of uh, all of the W, all of the world competition levels um, of the whole history of the competition of like how many women are in the top three and out of like a hundred and some competitors I think there are only 12 in the history of the world coffee champs that were women wow. in the top three um, and so and it's just like another conversation I had was uh, when and this is not by any means to shade Kyle or anything, but, you know, Kyle worked with a counterculture coffee and Ashley Rodriguez also worked with counterculture for her coffee. And it was interesting to hear that she did not receive the same amount of support from counterculture as did Kyle. And I don't know if that, you know, maybe it's because he's in Durham, but she's also in Oakland and they have a roasting facility in Oakland and she has that access, almost similar access to you know, the resources that counterculture is able to offer. Um, but it was, you know, he was able to pull in this whole team of people that sure as hell, if like Ashley had that same team, she probably would have done just as well, if not, you know, won the whole thing as two. Uh, so I think that's a huge thing that we are not keeping in mind is like, what, what is our definition of support? Why, why is the support so different? Um, it's like looking at a, a, this metaphor of looking at a, a dinner table and no one is noticing that there's no cutlery on the table, but they're freaking out about all these other things. Um, it's though, those little, those little bitty details, no one is noticing. And that's, what's like throwing all of it off, but people want to, you know, freak out about stuff that doesn't really matter. Um. But yeah, that's that's sort of my take on it. I didn't spend a lot of time on the competition floor because I was on the expo floor. Uh, but I was very frustrated by that, by the semifinals, and I definitely felt like I don't know there were there were a couple of different discrepancies. You know, Becky Reeves had issues as well uh, with a very unevenly stacked judging panel. Um, and then to later find out that they were also uncalibrated and no one did anything about it, even though she, you know, raised hell. It wasn't taken seriously at all. Uh, that is huge. Like, why wasn't she taken seriously? Why did no one do anything about it? And they knew that they were uncalibrated. And it still wasn't, like, I don't know, what do you do? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like maybe... Maybe she wouldn't have been able to get those points back, but still, it's like, okay, how do we keep that from happening from here on out? Like, what's going right. on on the judging side of things? Um, something that I definitely think 
we could all do, which I, I have the tab up anyways, to take the like implicit bias test. Um, that is something that I feel like would at least, people would be able to tangibly see like where it is that their blind spots are. Um, and that just goes beyond competition. I think it'd definitely be helpful in competition. Um, but being able to see the blind spots that we all have would kind of help to acknowledge where it is that our biases are getting in the way of, of stuff like this so that this stuff can stop happening. It's so, ugh, why is this stuff still happening? <laughs> you know? I don't know. I will, I will shout out um, a big shout out again one more time, maybe maybe a few more times throughout this episode, but uh, to the Boss Barista podcast, which um, Becky and Ashley both had a good discussion on this specific topic. And uh, I, I thought it was a lot of the issues with support that you talked about, um, they referenced in that episode. And they also talked a little bit about um, paid coaches mm-hmm. and the access that certain people have to uh, to that kind of, of resource. And then additionally, that this whole idea of, you know, bias in judging and, and diversity in judging and, and what could possibly be done uh, to, to improve diversity in the judging panel. Um, there's a really interesting episode if you haven't had a chance to listen to it. Um, definitely. Link will be in the show notes for sure. Yeah. And I think um, Pete Licata's uh, post about how to change competition was super insightful and I had a really awesome time like reading that and kind of d- dissecting his thoughts on uh, how to level the playing field a bit with the uh, idea of like adding in a compulsory round where you know all of the equipment's the same all of the coffee's the same um, and then Maxwell Mooney's weigh in on it on his Facebook about, you know, using the, you know, if we pick a coffee and there are these specific tasting notes um, that this coffee is supposed to have, like being able to dial in your coffee um, during this compulsory round to that. uh, I thought all of those were really awesome ideas for kind of helping move this along further um, into kind of minimizing that bias. Um, because I, like, I sure as hell didn't have access to, you know, a geisha or some of the crazy equipment, and, uh, you know, I didn't have, um, I didn't talk a lot about my, like, my prep for competition after the fact, but I didn't have, you know, a huge team behind me. I had Curtis from Presta, um, but for the, (laughs) yeah, Curtis. Sorry, shout out to Curtis. (laughs) Curtis is awesome. Love Um, Curtis. But, you know, I didn't have, like, a ton of people to bounce my ideas off of, um, aside from, like, once I had already put together my routine. Like, Brian, you were there for my run-through. <laughs> I was. <laughs> and it was, was awesome. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I did all of that myself, and I can't imagine, like, what how different the outcome would have been had I had, you know, a stronger support in many different ways and more than just like having people there like rooting me on and stuff like that um but uh, we'll we'll see where competition goes from here i'll pro- i think i have like one more season in me yeah 
<laughs> but this time, I have Matt Perger behind me, so <laughs> y'all better watch out. <laughs> Talk about support. Talk about support. <laughs> now I got it. <laughs> and so, the, and you mentioned about taking the implicit bias test, but um, the panel focused a lot on privilege. Mm-hmm. And so, what are aside from the like the implicit bias test and understanding those sorts of things, what are other useful ways that we can all use our individual privilege to come to the aid of people who are facing oppression or letting those voices be heard or lifting them up? Check your friends. Get your people. <laughs> That's what... Send that to Phyllis. <laughs> yeah. Literally, get your people. Um, it always ends up falling on the shoulders of uh, those that are being oppressed to have to check people and like put them in their lane, as I like to say, um, which, you know, is something that's going to continue to happen. But it's, you know, if you see things going down, and especially if it's someone that, you know, you might have like a personal relationship with, like, don't let them continue on. Like, if you actually care about that person, you're going to want them to be better. Um, so, like, rally when you see stuff going down and, you know, I don't know, take that person aside and have a private conversation with them. Um, if you have that relationship, if you're able to do so, if you feel confident enough in, you know, standing up for other people and with the information that you have, um, just coming coming in and, and adding in that voice of support, it really goes a long way. Um, like Michael Cameron said in his analogy, like, turn the fuck around <laughs> and, like, extend out your hand and pull, pull, pull us forward. Because, um, I mean, we've been doing the work forever, but it, it's, you know, it's always great to have to not have to put in so much energy if there are other people who have power and influence to put in that energy instead. Um, so, you know, a, a very specific example of this, if, like, what I said didn't make sense, which, you know, I'm just kind of ranting now, um, was after the intersectionality panel at Expo, I was sitting in a, um, a conversation with me and Diana, um, Alexandra Littlejohn and Chris Hendon and also Candace Madison. And Littlejohn and Chris were not at the panel, but they wanted to know. They, they wanted like a, a full-on summary of what was said and like what, you know, the conversation, how it led and stuff like that. And they were asking me. Um, but, you know, I had already spent all of that time, you know, preparing for the panel, sitting on the panel, talking, having some conversations after the fact. And I was just like, you know, this is emotional labor that I'm being asked of that I don't think I should be putting in. And really it didn't, it wasn't even the fact of like whether I should or should not. I didn't want to, <laughs> I should have didn't want to. I already put in that time. Um, and so I turned to Diana and I said that exact thing. I was like, I am being asked of emotional labor that I don't want to put in. And she was like, hold up, I got you. <laughs> and she stepped in <laughs> and gave them all of the hot takes and, and explained it from A to Z and told them what was up and answered all of their questions. And I just sat there and I listened and I was like, I was just like, yeah, there it is. Mm -hmm. she's, she's saying it right there. And that's what I mean by getting your people. 
and like talking to them and it's 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 as simple as that um and it's not to say that you cannot come to me or someone like me and like ask questions but you know what it is like we don't want happening is you just coming to me and being like okay how can I not be a shitty person like how how can I be better like that that is too broad of a statement like specific questions sure and after you've already gone in and done you know some research and self-education um listen to podcasts or a ton of different podcasts out there even like outside of coffee that talk about these things um and if there's something specific that you'd like to know then sure go ahead and come to me but you know asking uh, but still like going continually going to someone who is oppressed and asking of that labor all of the time is extremely exhausting and that's just like not that's not what we're trying to do um so yeah just kind of take taking a step forward and being like you know what I got this this time and this 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 is what it is that that is always great in preparation for this episode I, I reached out to a couple of people and asked some questions and I mean Jen has been on the show before and she's a, a great friend of ours and I I know she was on the panel so I felt like I needed to ask her again you know if, if she had any questions or things she wanted to, to chime in on and uh, she gave me a question and I thought it's a great question and I'm just gonna throw it at you <laughs> and then we'll see what happens, yeah, we'll uh, see what happens. <laughs> her question uh, as she sent it to me how do you feel about call-out culture on the internet and managing the white fragility that comes with it Whew. well Ooh. all right let's buckle <laughs> leave, leave up it to, leave it to Jen <laughs> leave it to Jen <laughs> to ask the tough questions <laughs> so a lot of people are they they're pretty torn when it comes to the whole call out culture thing my thing at the end of the day is if there is an action that you take that is oppressive or violent towards someone in the public forum I have every right <laughs> to publicly put you on the spot about that um there it there's I don't have any obligation in my opinion and like whether it doesn't really matter in my opinion I don't have any obligation to sit and take you and coddle you and appease you whether it's in a private space or you know like we can go on if it we can go on and have a, a private conversation later on but really if I feel like I am being oppressed and it's in a public setting. I feel humi humiliated. I feel put on the spot in that. And you're going to freak out about me just calling you out on that action. Um, then really you just need to reevaluate why you're freaking out about me calling you out and not the action itself. Um, a lot of people feel a way about making examples of people and I get it to an extent but at the same time it's just like I don't, we're all adults like <laughs> I don't understand like why it's like why are we <laughs> sitting here trying to like why why do we want to coddle people so much why do we want to hold people's hands like I have had to spend my whole entire life living this way and you're now expecting me to be nice to you and to 
to sweetly and kindly explain to you why I am hurt. Like that, it doesn't, it's not always going to happen that way. Um, and then still after the fact, I have to worry a lot about being made to feel or being made to seem like I'm still attacking you in some way by calling out like why I'm being hurt. Like that's just, can we grow up? <laughs> um, I, I'm all about call-out culture on the internet, and white fragility is always, like, it, it, it's such a, I talked about it a little bit at Tamper Tantrum, where, you know, defense, defenses and, and fragility are, it can manifest in ways that are sometimes aren't that, you know, people don't go too extreme sometimes, but they also can. And very recently, we've seen an example of it going extreme um, when fragility and people's defenses like come up and end up, you know, hurting others in the process when it really could have just been laid out as it could have been just left at like an apology and then moving on. Because really, that's all it is that we're trying to get to. We're calling you out just so you can acknowledge it, be told what it is you did wrong. And then you apologize, and then you move on, and you learn from it. And it really does not need to go any further than that. You don't need to get defensive. You don't need to take it personal, because it's not personal. But how you react to that, that's when it can get personal. Um, and then that's when we start having problems. But we don't even have to get to that point at all. Leave it. Just leave it and move on. Um, I misgendered someone a couple months ago, and like even though inside I still like beat myself up over it, I apologized and I moved the fuck on, <laughs> and I didn't do it again, <laughs> and things are fine. It's that person does not hate me. I don't hate that person for calling me out on it. I it is more important to me that they were hurt by my misgendering than the fact that I even feel bad for misgendering them. Like I will always place that above that. Um, so let's just move the fuck on. Let, like, be comfortable with getting called out because that's just life. Like, whether we're talking about these really uncomfortable topics or talking about, like, it, like, within our friendships, you know, like I said, if you care about someone, you're going to want them to be better. So if they're hurting you, you're going to call them out on it. And then you move on, and it's fine. Like, we apply that to other aspects of our life, so why can't we apply that to the tough conversations about race and sex and all that stuff, too? Like, that's just, it doesn't have to be so crazy. Uh, but people make it as such, and, you know, I mean, I get it to a point, but also I get not wanting to be oppressed. <laughs> I don't want to be oppressed. <laughs> so... Like, shut up and move on. <laughs> Stop oppressing me. <laughs> Speaking of moving on, um, <laughs> as, as we wrap up uh, the episode, obviously, um, it's been awesome to have you on and talk about a lot of these things and follow up from, from the panel. Um, you asked a question as the moderator in the panel near the end before some of the questions. Um, about some of the, the visible signs of progress um, that anyone had seen. And 
it was sort of that was that was one of the only moments in the panel where there was some slight disagreement and obviously i think you know tamika had a had a very valid point about oh extremely sure valid that, making sure that um nobody pats themselves on the back and making making it seem like everything is fine um or that we're doing so well but at the same time um i i'm curious like what what signs have you seen or have you seen any signs of even if so small uh, progress that's been made as a result of all this stuff? Um, the, well, you all wanting to even talk about this is a small sign of progress because uh, you got you guys have a huge platform. Same with Barista Hustle, uh, even though in the form of memes. <laughs> there's some uh, good memes. Some oh, boy. Really good memes. <laughs> um but my favorite meme that Matt posted was the when a woman of color gets promoted to head barista over you and it's like Anakin Skywalker like flipping out. <laughs> so good. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, small things like that. Um, seeing Rick Reinhardt come into the panel and uh, like having a, conversa- a small conversation with him after the fact about how pierced he was by it and wanting to use like he's executive director of the SEA and he wants to do what he can with that much power which is huge you know to make sure that we can all move forward as an industry um that was that was pretty awesome and then on like just a really surface level less people are unfollowing me now when I retweet uncomfortable things (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> people are actually like liking and retweeting it and i'm like okay all right so you're not mad that i'm you know <laughs> calling out white people for doing white people shit that's fine <laughs> um but yeah but like tamika said like there there is no point where we can we can get comfortable with patting ourselves on the back and giving out a gold star for those things like those are very small steps of progress in the grand scheme of things um, and we still have much further to go and it won't be until we're, we're at the point where we can all just sit and talk about coffee, like everyone involved, um, then that we could start like getting stoked about progress. So until that happens, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting comfy. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to find out more about you or the chocolate barista or Anything else? Where can you be found online? Uh, I have two Instagram accounts. My personal Instagram, which is Instagram.com slash M-E-E-S-H-A-L-R-J, Michelle-R-J, or uh, Instagram.com slash The Chocolate Barista. You can also go to my website, TheChocolateBarista.com. And uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, twitter.com yes, you are. <laughs> slash <laughs> Michal, which is M-E-S-H-A-L, or uh, twitter.com slash the chalk barista. So, yeah, I love the Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. That's where it really goes down. <laughs> oh, it's good. <laughs> I love that shit. It's so fun. I, <laughs> I, I began following a lot of new folks, uh, panelists and people who are joining in on a lot of these conversations on Twitter. Um, and it was so funny. Every time I would follow somebody, inevitably, like very soon after, they're like, well, I got a lot of new followers this weekend. 
<laughs> I hope people know what they're getting into. Like, yep. <laughs> I'm like, bring it on. I'm ready to see it. I, I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah. After but, Expo, uh, I had a, a a ton of new followers, and I was like, oh god, I'm not sure if y'all are ready for this, but it's been. I'm just gonna keep doing what I do, and people can take it for what what it is. <laughs> Well, we really appreciate what you do, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know, as you've talked about, having to go through all the emotional labor to to recall all these things, and I mean, just the very fact that you'd sit down and take an hour or some odd to come talk to us is just really great. So, well, I'll thank talk you for to you being on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> all right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning into the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast. You can find us on Instagram at I Brew My Own Coffee. You can find us on Twitter at Brew My Own Coffee. Check out our website, ibrewmyowncoffee.com slash 55 will be the episode notes for this episode. And trust me, they're packed with goodies. Uh, you can also join up on our Slack team if you'd like to. Um, and oh, by the way, our wonderful guest, Michelle, is also a Slack team member on our, on our Slack. So come on in. Go to ibrewmyowncoffee.com slash Slack to get an invitation and come on in and join the conversation. Yeah, ask me about water. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. that, you've, been, you've been posting a lot about water. I love water. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next episode. Have a everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.